Go ahead and have a seat and take your Bibles with me and turn to uh, the book of Matthew. Last week we were in the book of Mark and we're continuing our, our, uh, our summer sermon series in uh, looking at parables that Jesus, Jesus taught. And this morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13 and look at three shorter parables than the longer parable that we looked at last week. But Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 24, that's where we're going to start. And we're going to see three parables that Jesus tells uh, that all begin unpacking uh, the idea of what the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 24. I'll read through verse 43. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in a field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the, of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No lest the gathering of the weeds root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it had gro- has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy is, the, is who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out his kingdom and causes of sin and and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. You're, you're familiar with the inevitability of the question, are we there yet when traveling with children? Uh, our five children, when we traveled to grandma and grandpa's house uh, in the Twin Cities, uh, we, uh, we get the question a few times before we get to Fargo. Um, no, it's gonna, we've got a ways to go, guys. These three parables, these short three parables that we see here, are described to, or designed to answer a, a similar question. But rather than, are we there yet? The question is, is it here yet? The it 
being the kingdom of heaven? Is it here yet? There are a bunch of these parables, a bunch of these kingdom of heaven parables. And we're going to be exploring them over the next few weeks. They all begin with the kingdom of heaven is like, or the kingdom of heaven can be compared to, and then, uh, and then a, a story. Jesus wants to display to his followers truth about the kingdom of heaven. That's why these are here. But before we dive into these parables, we need to understand better what Jesus means when he says kingdom of heaven. What does he mean by this? Because throughout all of scripture, we see a lot of kingdom language present. There's a lot of kingdom language throughout scripture. And sometimes they're used differently. The idea of kingdom may be used differently in different places in scripture. So we ask ourselves, what does Jesus mean by the kingdom of heaven when we're looking at these parables? But it may be helpful for us to consider some other uses of kingdom language in Scripture. Because the context is going to determine maybe a little, a little bit of a different idea. Consider with me Psalm 103.19. That verse says, The Lord has, accomplished, or has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Here, the idea of, of kingdom refers to God's sovereign reign over all of creation. God made everything. We read Psalm 24 right at the beginning of the service. God made everything, and therefore everything belongs to God. This this use here in Psalm 103 points us to the fact that God is the undeniable king over the universe because he is the one who made everything. Another use in Scripture that we see could be uh, something like we find in Daniel 2.44. The first half of that verse says, And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. This idea of kingdom actually refers to a physical reign, a physical kingdom realized here on earth. This is a future reality for us as Christians, the future reality that Jesus Christ will return again to physically reign here on earth. Neither of these actually explain, though, how Jesus uses the kingdom of heaven language here in, in Matthew chapter 13. He's, he's talking about something a bit different, something a bit more nuanced here. Jesus' use here in these parables is referring to a spiritual reign in the hearts of his people. Spiritual reign in the hearts and lives of his people who submit to his authority. It's not a physical kingdom. And it's not exactly the, the meaning of that, uh, that, that God is ruling sovereignly over all of creation. This is the collective of God's people here on earth. The collective of God's people on earth, where the word of God has fallen on the good soil like we talked about last week. The word of God has fallen on the good soil and it's bearing fruit in the lives of, in the lives of those people. The fruit of repentance, the fruit of perseverance, the fruit of maturity. The fruit of abandoning all else to, to follow Jesus. This is the way that Jesus uses this phrase, kingdom of heaven, to show that he's going to establish the rule, a spiritual rule, in the hearts and the lives of his people. So the, back to the question, is it here yet? And when we ask, ask the question, is it here yet? Again, the it being the kingdom of heaven. The answer that Jesus gives through these parables is the answer is yes, the kingdom is here. The kingdom is present. Because the people of God 
are present. But these parables are designed to show us that the kingdom of heaven in its present state here in the world in which we live looks different than we may think. It looks different than we may think. So if we consider the book of Matthew as a whole, the book of Matthew is written to a predominantly Jewish audience. A Jewish audience that would be expecting this, uh, this physical reign, a Messiah who would come to deliver them physically from the oppression and the exile that they had experienced over the course of the last several hundred years. That would be the expectation that they would have. But at, and after the resurrection, we see that the disciples even, even asked Jesus a very similar question. In Acts 1.6, they asked him, they say, they just, they, they, they just observed Jesus dying, going into the grave, being resurrected 40 days here on earth, revealing himself to over 500 people, Paul says. And in Acts 1.6, they ask him this question right before he ascends into heaven. Lord, will at this time, or will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They're thinking about a physical kingdom. They're thinking about the Daniel 2.44 fulfillment here. Jesus answers by saying, he kind of redirects, and he just says, it is not for you to know the times or the season that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So, no. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus is saying, I'm not establishing a physical kingdom yet. I have established the kingdom of heaven here on earth by, by transforming or creating an opportunity for the hearts of of my people to be transformed, he's laid the foundation. Jesus has laid the foundation. The spiritual renewal of God's people make the kingdom of heaven present. Those who are in Christ are citizens of the kingdom of heaven and therefore represent the kingdom of heaven here on earth. In the lead up to the second coming, when Jesus will return again to set up his physical reign here on earth. So, because of this, if we say that we're kingdom citizens, we're not at home currently. We are not at home currently. Christians are not home. We exist in what you may have heard people call the already and the not yet. The already reality that the kingdom of heaven is here and that Jesus is reigning in the hearts of his people, but that the physical realization of that kingdom is yet to come. God's people here on earth make up the kingdom of heaven because they have been renewed spiritually. But we are waiting expectantly for the second coming of Christ when the renewal of all creation will match what has happened internally. So we could say that the kingdom of heaven is here as seen in God's people, kingdom citizens. We could say that the kingdom of heaven is coming when Jesus returns and sets up his physical, eternal, unopposed kingdom here on earth. But Jesus, actually, the reason I just unpacked all of that is because Jesus actually is assuming that understanding in his followers when he, when he speaks these parables. He's also assuming that those who are listening, who are part of the crowd, who are not part of his disciples, don't understand this reality or will not understand this reality like we talked about last week. So Jesus tells these parables to show his followers that the kingdom of heaven will look different than what they think. This is important. To show his followers, this is the purpose, to show his followers that the kingdom of heaven will look different than what they think. And to establish in them hope that regardless of what they see around them in the world, 
God is achieving His purposes. God is achieving His purposes. So let's consider the two parables then and see how those ideas work themselves out through these parables. Beginning in Matthew chapter 13, verse 24 through verse 30, this is the parable of the weeds. And then Jesus gives us an interpretation here in verses 36 through 43. That's where we're going to focus our time to begin. A sower goes out to sow good seed, right? And at nighttime, this enemy comes and sows weeds among the good seed. The sower realizes what has happened, but rather than tear up the weeds or tell his men to tear up the weeds, he tells them to leave them. Because, he gives a very clear reason, because I don't want to jeopardize the root system of the weeds. I don't want to jeopardize the root system uh, or of the wheat, excuse me. By tearing up the weeds, we could potentially put the, the wheat in harm's way. And so he says, just leave them. Let them grow together. And when harvest time grows around, we'll separate them out, we'll burn the weeds, and we'll gather the, the wheat into the barn. So the interpretation then that Jesus gives, beginning in verse 33, he gives us what the elements correspond to. He says that the sower is Jesus. The field is the world. The good seed are the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. The weeds are those who are outside the kingdom of heaven, or the sons of the evil one. The enemy is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. What Jesus is saying then is that there, is, there are both wheat and weeds in the field. There are both citizens of the kingdom of heaven and there are citizens of the world in the world. So as those who are in Christ, we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We are still in this world. But if you are not a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, then you are a citizen of the world. Now note that Jesus is saying that you either belong to God or the devil. There's no middle ground here. There's no, the field contains only wheat and weeds. There's not another option. Jesus doesn't give us another option here. Either you belong to Jesus, and if you do not belong to Jesus, the devil has claim on your life. This is the portion of the parable that describes our situation, the current reality that we live in. We live in a world, for us as those who are in Christ, we live shoulder to shoulder with those who are outside of Christ, who do not belong to Christ. These are men and women that we come in contact with who are opposed to God's purposes. And the way that you know that someone is opposed to God's purposes is that they don't submit to God's purposes. There's no riding the fence, according to Jesus. When you get an invite to a Facebook event, you get the yes, no option, but then you also get interested. There's no interested option here. It's either yes or no. Either you belong to Christ or you belong to the world. How, how do you know if you belong to God, though? That's the question that we answered last week. How do you know that the word of God has fallen on good soil? And the, the answer that Jesus gives is that it bears fruit in your life. Again, we talked about this fruit, the repentance, the maturity, the perseverance, the abandoning all else to follow Jesus. Or do you consider what Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, familiar passage. This is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit that's being born in our lives looks like Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is the Christ-like character that will be evident in the lives of those who belong to, to God. Now, at, 
should come no, as no surprise to us. There is evil in the world that's masquerading as, as good, though, as well. Not a surprise, but the existence of evil in the world, whether it appears to be good or evil, that doesn't negate the fact that the kingdom of heaven is here because the citizens of the kingdom of heaven are here. The, the existence of evil in the world doesn't mean that the kingdom of heaven isn't present. The way that we know that the kingdom of heaven is present here on earth is because there are citizens of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. For those kingdom citizens, there is a certain future reality. Those who are outside of Christ and belong to Satan, but those who are in Christ, when Jesus returns, there will be this weeding that happens. This is the future reality that Jesus talks about. Those who belong to Satan will be weeded out and judged. And Christ's reign here on earth will be unencumbered then by his opponents. The full realization of the kingdom of heaven is yet to come, Jesus says. But for now, where we exist right now, but for us, the call is to live faithfully, even in the midst of evil that is allowed to persist at this very moment in our world. We know that the last day is coming, that the kingdom which we, of which we are citizens will be realized and will be unopposed. The next two parables, though, are embedded here in, in this passage. So we get, this, uh, we get the parable of the weeds, and then we get the mustard seed and the leaven, both of which are very short. This only takes up three verses here, 31, 32, and 33. 34 and 35 then go back and tell the purpose of the parables, which we explored last week. And then we get an interpretation. So we sort of have like a sandwich here where we have a slice of bread, which is the parable of the weeds. And then we have uh, some, we have some uh, meat or, uh, or whatever you put in the middle of your sandwich, peanut butter and jelly. Uh, in 31 through 33, and then you have the, uh, the, the parables explained again, or the purpose of the parables explained again, and then we have another slice of bread here uh, in the interpretation. This is important for us to see, because we should not read the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven separately from the parable of the weeds. These need to be taken together, and we need to see a clear through line here, and we will in, in just a moment. These parables, again, much shorter, and Matthew wants us to read them together. So Jesus compares the, the kingdom of heaven to a mustard seed. That's a very tiny seed. If you've ever seen a mustard seed, it's very tiny. Jesus even makes mention of that. He says that it is the smallest of all seeds. It is a tiny seed. But then we learn that it grows into a massive tree. It grows into a massive tree. and so big that it becomes a home for the birds, Jesus says. And then Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to leaven, or yeast. Another very small thing, but it has the ability to permeate three whole measures of flour. Now when I think of measures, I, I thought about this, and I was like, what do I think a measure is, right? I think it's like a cup, like a cup of flour. A measure is like 20 pounds of flour. That's a lot of flour. So we're dealing with like 50 or 60 pounds of flour here. Just a little leaven is enough to leaven 50 or 60 pounds of, of flour. Something small like leaven will ultimately leaven a lot of flour. So this is the point that the very small things become very big things. 
The kingdom of heaven will start out very small, but will grow into something very large. When Jesus would ascend into heaven, the group that were his followers would be small. It would be very small. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. Again, we we read that, that text in the beginning of Acts. You see, the growth, though, from that point becomes explosive. It wouldn't take long for Christianity to infiltrate the Western world and change the world forever. But if you hear Jesus tell this parable, if you'd been in this room, remember, like there's crowds here, and then he leaves the crowds in verse 36 and gives the explanation. He just goes into a house with his disciples. It's a small group of people who are understanding clearly what Jesus is talking about. These men who were with Jesus were largely uneducated. They were completely ordinary. And if I was in that room with Jesus, I think I would have been left wondering, how is this supposed to happen? This is small. There's just a few of us. Jesus' words here would describe the mystery of small, insignificant things that would become the largest of things. Small, insignificant things that become the largest of things. Jesus doesn't want the disciples to worry about how a mustard seed goes from a mustard seed to a large tree where birds find their home. He doesn't, want to, he doesn't want them to give their attention to how a little leaven leavens a ton of flour. Jesus wants his disciples in the moment not to understand how, but to understand that it will. To trust that it will. The kingdom of heaven will grow, and it will become unignorable. The spiritual reign of God in the hearts of his people who submit to his authority will become unignorable. Twelve ordinary men in a house hear Jesus say this. Jesus is talking about a group of men and women who will live here on earth away from their home as kingdom citizens and ambassadors for the kingdom of heaven. This is designed to give his followers hope, to to give them a certain hope that even though things may seem small and significant, inefficient or unproductive, God's purposes are still being carried out. Now, we've had the benefit, we're in 2020, we've had the benefit of seeing this actually work itself out over the last 2,000 plus years. Where something small, the t- time and time again, this small little thing that began in this, in this house with these 12 men, the Holy Spirit descending on them at the beginning of Acts, has the ability to transform cultures with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when that happens, we know that God has taken something small and seemingly insignificant. Doesn't make any sense. Jesus wasn't running around looking for investors. He wasn't running around asking people to join his movement and promising them that they would feel good. He was was telling them that it was going to come about through insignificant, inefficient means. He wasn't building a brand. He was there to demonstrate the power of God. And when it happens, when the gospel transforms cultures, we know that God has taken something small and something seemingly insignificant, and he has made 
and transformed it into something glorious. So as we wrap up our time this morning, this is the question that I think we want to ask. Do we, Buffalo City Church, Buffalo City Church, those who call Buffalo City Church home, do you long to see this type of transformation happening in our community, in Jamestown, Stutzman County? God takes small, insignificant, weak vessels and does something dramatic with them. He uses them to bring about his perfect plans. Think about that. God takes imperfect people like you and me, who 99% of the time are only concerned with our own comfort and self-interest, and brings about his perfect plans. He takes small and insignificant things and he grows and makes it meaningful. What good can a small church in the middle of North Dakota do? We ask that question. Maybe, maybe we're considering Buffalo City Church, or maybe we're considering just a, a small, faithful group of believers in a town of 100 people, and there are 20 people present this morning. What could God not, through us, Buffalo City Church, why could God not transform dead, apathetic hearts into living, beating hearts that praise the name of Jesus with every love dub? Why not in Jamestown? In a in a place that's seemingly insignificant? Why not a burst of gospel transformation through a small group of believers here in Stutzman County? The question we have to ask ourselves is, would that make any difference to us? Would it make any difference to you to see the seed remain a seed? Or the leaven sit separate from the flower on the shelf? Do we long to see gospel transformation in our community? God takes small, insignificant things and he grows them and he makes them meaningful. Kingdom citizens know that that's the nature of the kingdom of heaven. Our weakness is God's strength. He loves to show his divine power by taking 12 ordinary men in, in a house and pouring into them and then ultimately shaking the world through them. Would it be his good pleasure to show his divine power by taking a small amount of us in this room and shaking the city of Jamestown? Shaking the county of Stutzman? Or the state of North Dakota? Would it be his good pleasure to allow us to make not just a Sunday morning dent, but a global impact? We ask, what, what do we have to offer? And the answer to that question, thankfully, is nothing. Paul writes in, in 1 Corinthians 1.28, he says, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. That's kind of humiliating. But it's important for us to realize. What do we have going for us? We're like small, like mustard seeds and leaven. We may be a place that is not all strategic or efficient. But these are the conditions through which God loves to display his power. Would he create in your heart, would he create in my heart this morning a willingness to be vessels through which men and women of Jamestown would be shaken from their spiritual apathy into lives that exalt Christ above all else? My prayer is that he would. And, and if you would rather just live uninterrupted by all of this, my prayer is that God would give you such a spirit of discontent, such a spirit of discontent that you wouldn't be able to rest 
until your life is wholly submitted to him and his purposes. Small church in a small town, largely un- or forgotten state, a largely forgotten state. Tell people you're from North Dakota when you're on vacation and they couldn't find it on a map. Would God do unexpected and unprecedented things through those who are kingdom citizens here in this room? The, the final point that I want to make is, is, comes out of the parable of the weeds. I think that, again, this, this parable is designed to show us that we shouldn't lose hope. That we should not lose hope. There's a lot of big issues in our world right now, a lot of things going on, and there's a whole host of, of things that we're thinking about as, a, as, a, as individuals, as a, as a country. There's political unrest. We've dealt now several months with the global pandemic. There's deep-seated racial tensions across our country. There's rampant secularism and individualism. There's hatred growing for God and his people. We're getting peppered with these narratives all day, every day. The hope is this, though, that the present present evil that is so apparent in our world doesn't mean that the kingdom of heaven isn't here. The, The evil that is present and prevalent in our world doesn't mean that the kingdom of heaven isn't here. Jesus says that it is. There is fruit being brought about, Jesus says. He established his kingdom and he will come again to see it fully and physically realized here on earth for all of eternity. God's perfect plan is being carried out no matter what the world says around us. Would you rest there with me this week? Would you put your hope there this week with me? Would you rest in the full certainty of hope and the promise that Jesus is coming soon? Jesus says in Revelation 22.20, he says, surely I'm coming soon. He says it that directly. And along with the Apostle John, who bears witnesses, witness to these words of the risen Christ, may we say, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray.